Hello, Yogesh. Welcome to the Qualitox podcast. Thank you. It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure uh, to have you uh, on the show. And you are in the pharmaceutical industries for about uh, 30 years now. Is it uh, correct? Uh, yeah, it's coming up to 40, actually. So, wow. Okay. <laughs> so a long, uh, long time. Yes. So you really need to update your uh, LinkedIn yeah. account with the, because I looked at it and it says... <laughs> about 29 <laughs> yes, yes wow yes. so 40 years so you you have seen a lot and you're a qualified person and you were a, a qp assessor and now you're a consultant yes i'm a consultant yes and that's so great. i've been consulting for the last uh, 20 years wow, okay so you must have seen a lot and you've been to a lot of companies and I think it would be a great topic to, to talk about deficiencies in pharma companies and maybe we could start with uh, uh, training deficiencies, for example. What companies lack and how, we can, uh, how you can advise them uh, to fix some of the issues. So what are uh, the deficiencies that uh, you have encountered in your long career? Sure. So um, as part of the auditing that I, I do, I'm also a trained uh, GXP auditor. Um, one of the areas I do look at is training and training systems as well. So one company I looked at uh, in India, um, I looked at their system, they had an electronic system that date, tamp, stein, uh, all the training of people. Um, but I, I got very suspicious whether this training was really effective because one employee I picked up and uh, he joined the company six months ago and on his first day he read 40 SOPs and understood them. And I'm okay, looking that's at That's quite this. a speed reading skills. You know, it is impossible because, to, you know, one of, some of the SOPs were 40 pages long and to read and understand an SOP takes maybe a, two or three days. So I can't believe someone could do that within a very short period of time. And it's clearly evident that the um, training was uh, set up just to get people through SOPs. Um, but, you know, the systems are, you know, you can go back, you can see exactly how long that person has entered that uh, uh, SOP for and when he finished. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my suspicions were, you know, you can't read an SOP in six minutes, some of the, the, the things are on. He, he actually opened it, mm-hmm. clicked it, and shut it, and said he was okay. trained in that. Okay, and the so, system records it and just uh, he signs yeah. in electronic signature and exactly. uh, everything is okay, and then nobody checks it or just uh, ignores it. They, they ignore it, and uh, which is, you know, fundamentally, I think, is wrong. You know, you know we should have a system where people really do spend that time and to understand an SOP mm-hmm. uh, and then record that time as well properly. Yeah. Um, but, you know, this isn't mm-hmm. only the one person. There were, there were a lot of people that I found that were deficient. So I actually gave my critical warning, you know, um, because they really didn't understand what the, the, the training system was there for. Mm-hmm. And um, do, you, do you see such uh, problems in... Um in many companies or was it a specific example? No, it, it, it does happen in quite a few companies. In quite a few like companies. Yeah. Also in, in Europe? Less, less so in Europe. Um, these have to be in China and India that these companies are, are meant to. In Europe, we, we are better. But I, I still feel that, you know, 
there's almost a lot of pressure on people to get trained to SOPs quickly. And so they become active quickly in the engagement. And I think, you know, we, we, we have to take the time to train and educate people properly. Um, because fundamentally, you know, it's people that are going to be working and making the products and we want to make them as safe and effective as possible. And really education and training, I always feel is key to that. Mm-hmm. I think uh, from my experience that sometimes uh, reading the the SOPs or the training through SOPs is a bit overrated or done um, not efficiently. So for example, when uh, people start at new companies, they tend not to have access to all the systems. And uh, so how people uh, just uh, fill in the time, the managers give them a huge stack of SOPs and tell them just read them. And uh, it really doesn't help when you as you said, read 40 SOPs in one day, or even if you do it in a, in two weeks, it uh, really doesn't help because you don't really know the company, you don't know the processes, and just reading the SOPs is uh, is uh, not the way to go about it. And uh, I think even even if you take those 40 SOPs and you you disperse it in uh, two weeks, uh, without seeing the, the process and just reading it, it still um, doesn't get you where you should be. In the, the training absolutely agree with that uh, yeah 100 you know you should be the SOP is a part of that you know the the actual on the job training is also important as well so you know the, you've got to understand the process before you understand the SOP so how companies they should go about it so let's say there is a new um, worker who comes in uh, to work uh, how should they start the training process so of course they have a plan but uh, How, how should they improve on it? So it, it depends where you are. Um, so every job position will have a profile of training that's required. And maybe we should sit down and understand that. If you're an operator on a packaging line, what you need to do is understand the procedures that really affect your job. So those are critical. And also there's some of the quality SOPs like change control or deviations and that sort of thing. So You know every profile should have a, a, a training matrix around it that people then uh, and then it's agreed with the manager and these are the critical ones for your job these are the nice to have so you know there's a priority list of uh, procedures that need to be assigned so as a QP when I go into a new company I really have to understand all the products the processes and the procedures as well so I, I do take time to understand all that In a similar way, I think a full-time operator needs that as well. And, you know, the best companies have what I call education programs in place for the rank you are, for the level you are, and where you're coming into. You know, we also say GMP training, yes, that's great, you know. But if you're very efficient and knowledgeable on GMP, is that always necessary? Um, I would say, you know, once a year, as long as you're getting that, Uh, yeah so I agree on that that um, you really need uh, to have a good uh, training program and uh, also with uh, the SOP part uh, so there is a lot uh, of uh, pressure for people to read the SOPs because they must uh, sign them for a new uh, when new SOP comes out you have a limited time to read it and to implement it and I find that Uh, usually it is required to 
know and understand SOPs that don't have anything to do with your job or your um, uh, your requirements. And uh, people just do it because they're required to do it and they sign for it. And I find that it uh, doesn't bring you anywhere. So what do you think about it? I, I think you're absolutely right. You know, it's ones that you really need to do your job. Those are the ones you need to uh, develop and be trained on first. So, uh, and those that you not apply to, you may need knowledge that they're, they're there and know where to get them, but you don't need to know, have a detailed knowledge of, uh, you know, what they are. Because uh, from my experience, I know that um, companies just uh, to cover themselves from uh, from inspection, you just make everybody know all the SOPs or at least sign off that they read them, but it, it just... Uh, an empty signature and i think it uh, takes uh, away from the importance of the sops i and my always beef about some of the sops you know 40 page sops are ridiculous you know sop should be short factual three or four pages at most use pictures uh to illustrate things so keep it as simple as possible then you you meet the compliance requirements for me, is to make it simple, um, educate people. Uh, I don't like the word training. I prefer education because you know education is meaning is you know you, you can train dogs, but you educate people because they then develop themselves and think further. So I think it's really important that we educate people the right way. And um, how should the companies um, go about it? Uh, so what is lacking in today's uh education and the training uh, programs so um i love it uh, that you say that education uh, is uh, uh, for people like uh, training is uh, for dogs but if we go for the definition so we have the education it's more uh, theoretical general and the training sure. is more uh, pinpointed and more uh, practical or do you see education as in general that you you teach people to think I think you're right. I mean, yeah. So Benjamin Franklin uh, once said that, tell me and I forget, show me, I remember, but involve me and I will understand. Mm -hmm. So the more you can get people to understand the reasons why you do this, uh, then you, you develop better with a quality mindset as well. So uh, it's really important that uh, we follow uh, that training path, uh, in my opinion, because we get the most out of people. The most expensive asset a company has is its people. Uh, and, you know, we should really look after our people because it's with them we make the products. Um, and, you know, we make pharmaceutical products. And of course, if we make them wrong, we could harm patients. So it's really critical uh, the user. Also, I think education by using more examples with people from experience that will bring in people and involve people, you know, have work sessions, you know, uh, how would you tackle this problem? And it makes people think the understanding uh, better as well. So I think, you know, involve people, uh, then you get a better um, uh, workforce with more motivated staff and people who understand the reasons why they're doing things. See, one of the most um, important things for me was my primary school teacher. I had a chemistry teacher and he made that subject so fascinating for me, you know. 
he used to have experiments that you know he used to show us and practically and because of that i got into chemistry and uh, you know i always remember that and that was many many years ago <laughs> uh, but the, the man uh, was a fantastic uh, educator because he was passionate about his subject area and if you got passion then you know people will will learn that so i always say you know when you're choosing people uh, do you have the right skills or the right passion? I always look at passion as being critical because you can train people you can in the skills, but if you haven't got the right passion or the right attitude, then that can't be trained. That's mm-hmm. there or not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that um, you're cor- completely correct uh, here because I think uh, many of the people who do the education and uh, do the, uh, the training, mm-hmm. they're obligated to do so. Exactly. And uh, I know that sometimes you go to those people and they're uh, upset because they don't have the time for it and they just uh, um, do some uh, example. They just click the few buttons, click, click, click. Did you understand? Sign it yeah. and uh, goodbye. goodbye. And uh, <laughs> you need uh, really people who are uh, passionate about what uh, they do and they want to share it. Not the people who just... Uh, are stressed that you're there or are mm. annoyed that you're there and they're just uh, doing a favor for somebody or just uh, feeling an obliga- obligation. So I think the companies need to look, first of all, the people who don't like to do it, just go and say, I do, it's, it's not my passion. Let me see, let me do the technical stuff. I'm not, uh, I'm not, I don't want to teach. And the, the, the management should... Listen to that. They shouldn't uh, say, no, it's your obligation, you must yeah, do yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they shouldn't force them. And, uh, you know, you have the right people to give the training, which is really important, I think. You know. Yeah, I think it's better somebody with less experience, but he has the passion for it. Exactly. And uh, he would um, transmit it much better. I completely agree. Completely. So less um, just theoretical training or education through SOPs, through theory, rather uh, take uh, the people um, and uh, show them and, uh, and uh, teach by example and do it uh, regularly. Sure, absolutely. Yeah, you know, do it regularly. I mean, uh, high, there's higher implications. You know, we, we cannot teach people anything, really. Uh, as educators, we help them to discover that w- within themselves. So, That's a quote from uh, uh, Italian astronomer Galilei, he said in the 16th century, he's absolutely right, you know, uh, education is about motivating people to understand. Uh, and the more you understand why we do these things, the people then uh, will appreciate it. And I think that's what uh, uh, really what the education program or training program should be. So how do you motivate? I know that uh, when I went to yearly uh, GMP classes, so each yeah. company has those yearly uh, classes that uh, just remind you the general topics and they bring people from uh, all over, from all the departments, from the quality assurance, from the production fr- and, from, and so on. And usually uh, the people who are not uh, directly quality involved or, or not QA are... Uh, usually not motivated uh, to go to these trainings and they feel that it's a time waste for them. So how do you think that um, 
that uh, companies should motivate the people who are outside of quality to participate and le- uh, really understand that the quality is uh, also uh, their job. It's not, it's not only the job of the quality assurance, but it's also their job to be uh, responsible for the quality and they need to understand the GMP deeply and um, understand also what the quality assurance does and all what is involved in uh, other departments as well. So it's a very good point, uh, Jan. You know, annually we have to do the refreshing training, but make it exciting. Make it about real examples that happen within your own facility. Um, And what decisions did you come to? What, you know, how did you get there? What root cause analysis did you do? Was this right? You know, have people thinking about, you know, uh, what is the best way and learn from uh, your own errors, but also learn from um, history. You know, quality department's responsibilities is to make sure that this uh, training is current and relevant. Uh, and it's not just regurgitated, you know, watch a video and this is the, the GMP. It's about selling what you need to do to make your organization more better uh, for compliance also for profitability, you know, I always feel that continuous improvement should be everyone's responsibility as well. So I think really engage with people. And one of the things I've been involved with is not just having quality people to do the, uh, the refresher training. It's to involve people from production, involve people from the supply chain. So it, it makes them feel that quality is every department's responsibility, which it should be. And that's really important, you know, the last training session I did, uh, I had one person from supply chain and one person from production operations. And they were they talked about some of the things that they've uh, made improvements in, in their own departments. Uh, and that was wonderful because it brought the message that quality is everyone's responsibilities, and, and which of course it is. How do you involve them? Um... Um, from your point of view, what uh, should uh, the quality uh, delegate or what should they uh, really do to involve them and um, make them feel a part of this uh, quality culture? So I think the role of quality, often quality department is seen as a police to, policing department, which it shouldn't be. You know, it, it's a part of the whole supply chain process of making the right products and supplying them. So I want... QPs and QA associates working with production. So we have what are called QUIPs, quality in production. So these are people who are actually working with production and solving problems locally uh, and you know, any deviations or corrections they can look at as well. O- overall, yeah, we're still a, quality is still an independent department that makes the, the overall decisions. But I think the more we work with the um, you know, operations, supply chain, uh, production departments, you know, and packaging departments, the closer the bonds are and the more people share if, if there's an error. You see, the wonderful thing is with that happening, right? Quality find out exactly what's happened quite early and we're able to make a decision whether we segregate that part of the batch or not. If it's made later, we may lose the whole batch. So it has real cost implications for the business as well. So I think trying to build quality in and having people involved, that's really key. So to me, um, having quality in production is, is really important. And I think, you know, you, you build better relationships that way as well. So you work together to, to get the desired outcome, which is a quality product. 
Yeah. And I agree with you completely. A while ago, I did a podcast uh, with uh, Alex uh, Hall and uh, we talked about uh, risk analysis. And uh, I mentioned that uh, the companies, uh, the pharmaceutical companies should uh, learn a bit uh, from the other industries uh, like the finance, for example, and use the free lines of defense uh, risk uh, management approach. So it's basically, it says that uh, the... Uh, people in the first line of defense are the people on the ground and they should be responsible for uh, the risk management in, in their department. So they should take responsibility and the quality assurance department, which would be the second line of defense, they would be there just to assist, to review, to um, to make sure that everything is, is done according to regulations. And the third line of defense would be some external uh, audit or some corporate audit just review it and in that way you give the people on the ground the people in the production the people in logistics and uh, quality control and so on their responsibility for the quality in their department and they uh, feel also the the mutual feeling and the responsibility for quality and feel part of it uh, what do you think about uh, this approach I think it's a really good approach. I mean, I know Alex very well. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of things in other industries that do well that the pharmaceutical industry could really learn from. Uh, you know, the aeronautical industries, you know, the clean room manufacturing standards, really high. I mean, they have class one clean rooms and things like that. So, you know, there's a lot you can learn. And I think the pharmaceutical has been a bit arrogant, thinking that they're the best in everything. They're not, you know, and we could learn from other uh, industries, other ways of doing things, other ways of risk analysis, you know, to get, to get, to make our uh, processes in the pharmaceutical industry better. And I think absolutely, you know, we, we should uh, look at the best practice, whether it exists in a different industry, it really doesn't matter. You want to leverage that into your industry, into your company, to make your company more efficient and more effective. So, yeah, um, I'm all for learning things from uh, other ways, uh, other companies, how they do their risk assessment. It's really important because the way we frankly do it is not very good in the pharmaceutical industry, you know, and we need to learn. We need to get better. I mean, there's people there with cappers. They have no more than two weeks. They close them out within two weeks. In the pharma industry, I go there. You've got cappers open for two or three years or even longer. It's ridiculous, mm -hmm. you know. Um, yeah. So, you know, we really need to look at better ways of uh, doing things. And yeah, yeah, look at other industries, mm -hmm. look at other. Yeah. And why is that? Why is it that uh, the other industries uh, take care of their cuppers better? Although the pharma industry is so critical for a human life and uh, it's uh, been neglected. Is it because other industries feel the impact of each uh, cup uh, in their uh, financial status and then uh, the pharma feel it less or they just uh, uh, represent it uh, uh, not well enough for the upper management? Well, I think they don't present it in the best way for upper management to make a decisions, but this is what people need to do. Um, you know, if there's a, a really serious risk, obviously that should be escalated up to senior management straight away. But a lot of cases, these cappers are lower risk, you know, and I don't know why they're not being closed out. There's, there's less priority on them, you know. As people leave it for, you know, months, oh, don't know, I have to close that out for another two months, you know. And then they, they wait, you know, until the last day 
and then they make a decision which is the wrong decision. It's often down to human error. You know, um, you know, I see so many cappers that come to the end, and the cause is down to human error. Um, actually, it's not. It's usually a systemic uh, problem. We should look at systems rather than blaming people all the time. Mm -hmm. And that's one yeah. thing that I'm very keen to do. A lot of the errors are systemic. And look at your SOPs, look at your systems, look and try and find where the real fault is for that error to happen. If you don't, it will recur. It will recur again and again and again. And, you know, companies spend a lot of time and money you know, on chasing cappers, right? You look at the number of man hours, that is really a cost to the company and the business. So, you know, we always did cost analysis uh, along with cappers as well. So that's a good way of people understanding how much that capper being open is costing the business mm -hmm. and potentially some jobs as well. They can't recruit because, you know, uh, that's, you know, they haven't got the money to recruit people because the cappers are being open. You know, a lot of cappers can be effective. I went into a company once and we sat down for three weeks and we closed out 300 cappers in that time. Um, a lot of them were low-hanging fruit uh, and could be closed off very quickly. Some of them were more critical. In fact, they, some of them more important. So they got raised to senior management and they, there was then real effort to, to, to adjust those. But a lot of them were uh, related around procedures that weren't correctly written. And uh, once you got the, the fixes done, uh, we never had those problems again. Yeah. So, so I I know it uh, also that uh, there are so many kappas that uh, I'm sorry uh, there are so many deviations that occur because uh, people just uh, um, rate them as minor, close them, and move on uh, with the day. But uh, people don't uh, count the the hours and the time they spend only to document this uh, 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 this deviation and uh, the kappa and uh, the evaluation and just the time that it takes to write it down and uh, to close exactly. it and the, and the time of the managers that have to uh, sign it and review it and then and the, I find that the time that is wasted there costs so much money and I think that uh, sometimes there are kappas and uh, some deviations that uh, people say okay we don't want to um, fix it because it costs uh, x uh, money right and be, because it's so much uh, it's so expensive but they don't think how much uh, time is wasted on it and how much uh, um, money is wasted on it uh, that uh, is translated to the time that you pay to your employees and um, you know not time ago i um, i said and i posted uh, this uh, uh, on linkedin that i said uh, what is your most precious uh, resource what is the most precious resource? And this is always will be time because it's the only resource resource that doesn't grow. You cannot mine it. You cannot yeah. store it. Right. And um, this is uh, something that uh, Peter F. Drucker said, and he is uh, one of the most famous uh, consultants for executive. Sure. And uh, he says the best executives and the best managers are the ones who understand the value of their time and this is something that you must work with and understand that time you cannot buy uh, you cannot buy it back you cannot store it if you lose it it's gone forever so you really need to think and really evaluate how much time you waste on 
those kappas, just let the people in your organization, let them write it down how much time they spend on uh, petty deviations and just yeah. uh, put it together. Uh, look at your uh, trend analysis and uh, just think how much hours you waste on it and think how much money it would uh, spare you if you just do a good uh, root cause analysis and just uh, close it uh, one, once and for all. Yeah, I mean, th- this is precisely, we want to get people trained in that mindset, you know, to look at it, you know, really small deviations, you know, you've got to consider whether there are true de- deviations. If not, this could be closed within a day or even less, you know, you shouldn't be having these uh, holding. And the thing is, right, the more deviations you have in the system, the slower things tend to move anyway. So the quicker you can make the, the decisions on small minor deviations, the better, I think, for the business. Yeah, and I think it's, uh, it is well. And uh, one time I have participated in a GMP training by a really large uh, consultancy firm. I won't mm. uh, name them. And um, the trainer, with a lot of um, years and a lot of experience, he said... He explained what uh, deviations, what uh, kappas are, and he said, uh, don't worry about the small deviations, the minor ones. Don't worry about them. Uh, leave them. Don't uh, prioritize them. Uh, think about the capacity and so on and so on. But then time passes and uh, it's uh, it just gathers there. And then you have hundreds of small deviations. That, uh, uh, and if you, if you have new processes, especially that... Uh, it will just uh, a plug uh, just um, just kill your processes the whole time that is wasted on it so i i believe that it's really wrong way uh, looking at it so for me deviation is a deviation it's a problem with the with the process and even if it doesn't impact your uh, product in that it does impact your uh, working process and your uh, business process absolutely absolutely and you know the more you can close off these smaller deviations the more then you you've got the time to focus on the, the more important ones as you say time is money resources are limited qa people the you know people say oh we, we need more people you don't need sometimes you know you need to focus on the important ones that really matter but make sure that these um, small deviations are closed off quickly because they don't uh, hold up the system yeah and i think that uh, people should uh, take a bit more responsibility uh, for uh, some of the issues uh, i'll give you an example um, one time there in um, in a system that i worked at there were constant uh, deviations and we knew the reason for that it uh, had to do something with uh, with uh, the system with the quality management system and it was like that uh, uh, forever but we never encountered it because uh, with all products we didn't have to do some of the processes we didn't have to go to these specific settings and suddenly with a new process it pops out and it causes deviations that the people had to spend um, hours hours manually fixing it and uh, the solution was uh, simple change uh, the system do a change, change the system. Very simple. Uh, but uh, because uh, it was a big company and uh, there is so much uh, bureaucracy, so they say, okay, we have a meeting with those uh, um, 
global committee for the quality management system it's uh, like uh, one uh, on, uh, in uh, six months we need to, to sit together I need to explain the issue and they will say no we don't have time and there is enough that one person says no and it falls between the chairs and that's it and uh, the issue was closed and uh, we kept doing everything uh, manually and uh, I believe it's uh, such a wrong approach and especially for big companies uh, because they think okay the time because we are so big uh, we lose X amount of time Y amount of uh, money but we are a big company we'll just hire another pers- person who does this manual labor and uh, just because they don't want to open some conflicts and uh, and they just uh, engage in some uh, you know communication and yeah. um, I, I just wonder why is that like this <laughs> yeah it's it's you know I, but i also feel that qa people need to justify their jobs sometimes you know so they sometimes they create this uh, turbulence you know um which which i've seen happen it's uh, unfortunate you know um but we've got to be more efficient you know the cost of medicines is going to have to come down there's going to be competition you know the cost of getting new medicines to the market you know we're always going to be constrained by governments on pricing. So we have to be work smarter now. We have to work more efficiently. We have to work better um, because at the end of the day, we are patients as well. You know, we will get ill and we will need those medicines. And, you know, we want to pay a, a fair price. You know, I don't pay a ridiculous price for a medicine because to be honest, you know, a lot of companies are now facing problems trying to get a medicine approved. But because of the price, it won't be approved because there'll be uh, uh, holds on that. So it's a shame, you know, but we've got to be efficient now. Uh, That's the main drive, I think. So the medicine um, won't be approved because of the price or the company won't push it uh, further because they they say, okay, we don't have the finance? Yeah, I mean, we haven't got the finance. I mean, we we got the NICE in the UK that set up, you know, to see whether the cost effectiveness of a drug, you know, and if it's too high, it won't be prescribed. So yeah, it's uh, really unfortunate. Up. It's really unfortunate mm-hmm. that uh, uh, so it costs so much money to um, pre- to bring a, a product to the market, uh, right? It's about uh, 1 billion and, and it rises. Instead rising, of going yeah. down, yeah. it rises. And I believe it would change as soon as there are some great companies that work on innovative, uh, innovative ways to use artificial intelligence uh, to test molecules. So for now, when you do it manually, it takes one m- molecule out of 10,000 uh, mm-hmm. and, and you f- it takes t- 10 years and uh, so many yeah. fail. But if yeah. you have... Uh, from those um, 10,000, uh, then at least yeah. uh, 5,000 come to the market. Uh, and um, you just you just cut all this uh, laboratory work and all this uh, testing. So it's... I mean, we, we've got artificial intelligence, big data analysis are all key drivers in yeah. the way the, the industry is moving into the future, which, you know, which hopefully will reduce the prices of drugs uh, uh, getting to the marketplace and hence the you know, price to the uh, patient. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but still, we also need to uh, to take uh, some of this efficiency yeah. to the pharma and uh, think about the processes and, uh, like you said, learn from uh, other industries and um, not being cocky about it and say, okay, we are pharma because uh, we are we are so regulated. But also the finance 
industry is so regulated and also the uh, car industry and uh, they have such great systems in place and they forget and the medical devices they have devices yeah, yeah so yeah. they're so good because they don't rely all on clinical trials because you cannot implant something and there is no clinical trials so they do a hell of statistics and they they, and the processes are uh, like a clockwork yeah. so we rely a lot on validation of the process but we don't rely enough on um, what uh, everything around it uh, right I, i think there's so much we can learn from the car industry from the medical device industry uh from other aeronautical industry i mean you know that that's key you know what they do is really important Let's learn from these companies and uh, and bring them in look at the best practices there and some of those will be transferable to pharma you know people always say oh no this is the way we've always done it and this is the way it should be done but no you know things are changing and we have to change with that as well uh, and you know I want this industry to to grow and survive and be successful and the only way they can do that is by changing itself mm-hmm. So uh, how can they, uh, can they initiate uh, this uh, change for example so uh, would it um, is it plausible to bring uh, some consultants from other industries to look uh, at the processes or send uh, or to send someone uh, uh, from uh, inside to other uh, companies uh, to yeah. look at the the, 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 I think there's a number of ways and you know um, And big companies you know I know one Swiss company has bought in consultants from the outside that works in other industries to help you know look at how it's doing its business as well and that's been very successful as well um, you know and they're moving in that area of big data analysis and uh, artificial intelligence in a, in a really big way um, uh, but other smaller companies have not done that and it's you know um, but you don't have to bring in a many consultants you can bring in one or two and then take the advice or you know you can have uh, another company I know has actually um, said look you know we would like to spend six months in your company and we'll have someone from your company spend six months within pharma mm-hmm. uh, and it's a great idea exchange of I ideas think a, yeah in that way you can get a lot of exchange of ideas without yeah. not without paying lot, lot, yeah just without not paying a lot of money because you know you've got ideas you know why you know you can make things better and that sort of thing and sometimes it needs someone from the outside to see because you know too blinded in a uh, farmer sometimes you know thinking this is the way we have to do it this is what the regulations say but the regulations are for us to change you know if there's better ways of doing that you know um, one of the things I'm involved with is stem cell research and development so ATMPs is a very advanced thing there are things that We do so fast in that world, and yet these products are still medicines they're, they're, they're sterile medicines they're going to the people. These are cells taken from your own person or from other persons, so they have all that uh, controls around them, and yet they are becoming efficient and these products are being approved in five six years, so rather than the 10 fifteen years it takes a normal pharmaceutical so you know and again you know um, It's important to learn that and have the risk assessment and that's important with the risk assessment you know how you do that have the analytical data to justify uh, reducing the amount of clinical testing you need to do and now we you know we've got companies like Google and Amazon coming into the pharmaceutical world I think they'll make a big change in the way yeah. we on our business 
Yeah, they so. will do amazing change because they come from a fast-paced environment, very technological environment, very agile environment. And uh, I hope they don't uh, get uh, too much uh, of uh, uh, barriers because of regulatory uh, yeah. things. But I think they are so adaptive. And the, the culture in this 20 years uh, of this technological advancement and um, that it's amazing how they com- those companies survive on being so agile and uh, so flexible. Yeah, and I think that's it. I, I think the regulations are changing you know, and the regulators are listening. Um, you know, it's a wonderful thing. You know, mm-hmm. you know with this COVID-19 vaccine, uh, one of the companies I've been working with, you know, it's amazing how flexible the regulators have become. Uh, and you know, you put a, a proper risk analysis proposal. Uh, they usually uh, will buy that as well. You know, but you know, um, we need to develop medicines quicker. You know, we got uh, you know things like the COVID nineteen. We'll we'll probably have other viruses in the future. Uh, we need to develop systems quicker uh, for treating people and saving people's lives, of course. Oh, there's a lot of cooperation now between uh, many companies and they try uh, to bring uh, so many, yeah, it's a great cooperation, uh, helping each other, trying to bring the product to the market. I really hope that it doesn't uh, make the drugs uh, unsafe because you just, um, you do the clinical trials uh, too quickly on the yeah. too, uh, too few yeah. people. Yeah, but in some cases, if you if you give it to just maybe not to healthy patients, but maybe someone who is already yeah, ill, so, yeah. if there yeah. would be some drug that would be better, right? But yeah, um, yeah so yeah. I, I believe that the regulation in pharma are there for a reason, and it took um, so many strategies. Tra- to, to come there and I think everybody is afraid uh, what happens if something fails um, and they, so because they don't especially in Europe so uh, the QPs are uh, responsible and they're accountable by law and they can sure. go to jail or something goes wrong so maybe there is a lot of uh, there is a bit of um, um, a bit of uh, uncertainty when sure. it comes to change yeah. uh, because they say okay Okay, we don't want to take the change, uh, the chance uh, to do a change. Yeah, I mean, you know, the thalidomide incidents in the sixties that happened. You know, um, you know, I, I still feel there was a misunderstanding of how that drug was, and you know, they didn't test it in uh, pregnant uh, animals. You know, mm-hmm. at the time, the scientific belief was that the it wouldn't go from the mother to the embryo. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, but it obviously changed you know, a lot of things. So. These risks, I think, you know, are there, and these things are, we've got to look at, you know, to make sure that the drug is safe and effective. Uh, that's the first thing, you know. Um, you know, but we can use data to, um, you know, preclinical data. We can use analytical testing. We can use uh, other data to try and uh, give evidence that is safe. Um, we we learned from that, and that was a terrible disaster that happened. And that's what a lot of uh, QPs are there. We don't want that to happen again. Um, but there's a lot of risk analysis that we need. We didn't do much risk analysis in the 1960s, you know, when that drug became licensed. Um, you know, it was licensed in a number of countries, but it never got licensed in the US. It was the FDA that stopped that uh, getting yeah. into the US. A lady, fantastic lady, she always believed there wasn't enough data to support 
the claims the pharmaceutical company mm-hmm. would make. Yeah. She was already uh, also rewarded for that uh, later. Yeah, she, the, she, she, mm. she was. I mean, she got the highest award in the US for a civilian. And, you know, she died at the age of 101. She oh. lived a good life, you know. Yeah. So uh, she was a national hero uh, in the US. And, mm. yeah, you know, uh, uh, and again, in Europe, you know, we suffer badly from that because we allow that drug to, 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 to be passed you know, and approved into a number of European countries as well. Yeah. So, I, yeah. So we need to understand. So, from one side, we need to keep the regulations. From the other side, we need to understand that uh, uh, the technology that we have now is not the same technology eighty years ago. All right. So it's not the same. Or uh, sixty years ago, it's not the same yeah. technology. We have so much, um, uh, so so many systems in place. So many. Uh, yeah gatekeepers so yeah. many um, software that uh, the uh, artificial intelligence and that the statistical tools that we can y- use today exactly uh, and that's the really important thing you know we, we've got so much data that we can analyze uh, and we've got really powerful computers yeah. and exactly. programs so we can do that for yeah. us to give us the right information to move forward as well. exactly so i think that uh, really people need to look at data I also talked with, uh, I had a great podcast also with um, Doron. He is a CEO of a company that produces uh, uh, QMA systems. And yeah. he said uh, for him, the QA in the future are data analysts. They, they're yeah. people who sit, they take the data, they look at the data. And then they decide what to do according to the data and the quality management systems need to go in this direction that they um, harmonize everything. They harmonize everything for from all the business areas and the intention areas, put it in the, on one screen and then you can change the view and they change the data that you want to look at and then just... Uh, um, have insights inside the things that you are not aware of. So we just need to really look at the data, the trend analysis, uh, to understand the, what is wrong. Absolutely, uh, you know, data will give you the evidence to make the right decisions, and that's what you know. That's what uh, as a QP I do when I do a batch review. You know, I look at all the data that's presented to me. Uh, I know what's critical. I know what I need to look for, um, and, and people supply me that to make the right decision to go forward. And you know. Um, uh, that's I always do that, and I think QA will become like that at the moment, rather than uh, be more of a policing thing than you know checking systems and putting this form to this form and making this. You know, um, I want QA to move into that direction, become more technical, uh, as I say, uh, rather than uh, following a procedure. You know, um, look at the procedure. You know, if it's not adding value, do you need it? Um, yeah, I say, well, I, I, I've heard many QA people say, oh, this is our system. We have to follow our system. I said, well, the system is not, first of all, adding any value. You know, it's not, uh, you know, do you really need to have it? That was the way we've always done it. And we've got to move away from what we've tended to do and move to a newer future where we use data analysis um, as key to make the right decisions going forward. Yugesh, thank you very much uh, for talking to me and uh, your ideas uh, are amazing and great and very helpful. And I really hope that uh, 
people in uh, different uh, companies uh, would find them useful and also implement them. I hope so as well, you know, uh, we'll see, but uh, happy to do another session on anything you want. Thank you very yeah. much. Thank you for watching or listening to this episode of the Qualitalks podcast. If you enjoyed it, please consider sharing it and subscribing so you don't miss new episodes. Stay compliant and see you in the next one.